Welcome to today's episode. We're so glad you guys are joining us today. Um, please be, please bear with us. Um, uh, we have new sound equipment and we are testing it out. Um, so hopefully the sound quality is a little bit better than our first one, um, but we will see. Yeah, we're still learning. <laughs> we'll figure this out eventually, right. I promise. So, Kate, um, do you want to start off with your teaser for today? I do, okay, because so... I am very excited for my teaser. Okay, so what is your teaser? My teaser is about dropping moose from airplanes. I'm sorry, what? Moose? You're just going to have to wait. Drop moose? Moose. From airplanes. Moose. Big old scary moose. <laughs> like big antlers? Yes. Oh, Okay. Um, I don't know that mine's quite that exciting, um, but today is National Lipstick Day. I don't know if you knew that. Did not. So uh, hopefully everybody um, had their lipstick on today, which, by the way, lipstick National Lipstick Day is July 29th. I know you guys probably won't be listening to this on July 29th, but mark it on your calendar for next year. So I'm going to, in honor of National Lipstick Day, I am going to talk about the social roller coaster of lipstick through history. Well, that sounds fascinating. It it was, I had no idea. No idea. So, Tiff. Yes. Do we have a safe word today? Uh, let's see. Yes, of course we have a safe We always have a safe word in case things get too weird. Let's see. Last time it was armadillos. Armadillos. I'm going to go with avocados Ava ooh, just had some really good avocado toast by the way i also had avocado toast this morning Delicious. for breakfast it's my favorite so All yeah right, so that's our word avocados. avocados avocados all right well i who wants to go first i think you need to go first because <laughs> i want to know about these moose being dropped from airplanes because i need to know if i need to start wearing a helmet whenever i'm outside well, only if you're in Alaska. Okay, that's good. But I do want to put a little disclaimer. I actually changed my topic very last minute. So I did not get to put the same amount of research time in that I normally would. So I might not be able to answer all your questions today. Um, I might mispronounce some of these words. So bear with me. But we are just going to uh, drop right into this topic. <laughs> so... Again, this started on TikTok. I saw a TikTok video and I thought, of course it did. No way. So I started Googling and I was fascinated with this topic. And this moose dropping thing is actually a festival. I'm sorry. They yes. made a whole festival out of this? Yes. This is called the Moose Dropping Festival. And let me make sure I pronounce this right. It's in Takitna. Alaska. If anybody's from Alaska, I apologize if I pronounce that wrong, but I'm doing my best. So this is an annual festival in Alaska, and it's actually a fundraiser for the town's historical society. And you know I love my history, so I found that fascinating. I know, I see the this, look on your face. This is taking all <laughs> kinds of twists and turns. Like, I'm thinking, like, this is a scientific project dropping moose out of planes but no it's a festival and oh by the way it's not just any festival for fun it's a festival fundraiser oh it gets better oh, okay so i actually this is where i wish i had more time to research there are several 
stories on how this all actually started. These are the two main ones that I heard. One version says, and it was started in 1972, regardless of which version you see, but one version says it was started by the local homemakers club. <laughs> no. For those of you who don't know, Homemakers Club is a bunch of women who are typically stay-at-home moms. Our mom was in Homemakers Club for years. Uh, technically, she still is. Oh, that's was because she was on the mailing list for a long time because she yeah. couldn't make it to the meetings. Yeah. So that's one version of the story. Another version that I saw in several different articles that I read um, basically states that it was a group of Guys getting drunk, which honestly sounds so much more feasible. I would say that sounds, I could totally see that happening because, I mean, I, sorry, but I've been around a lot of drunk guys, <laughs> which sounds terrible to say out loud. Avocado, avocado. <laughs> but I have, I have heard some of the weird stuff that they have come up with and it's not logical. So Moose being dropped out of a plane sounds exactly like an idea that would come from, like, a bunch of drunk guys. Right. So, okay, regardless of which story you go with, allegedly, um, there's a lot of moose poop in Alaska. I, there's no delicate way to do this episode, okay? It's moose poop. Clearly. It's, you know, I've got a toddler. Poop is not a foreign idea anyways it's a daily occurrence so apparently like they were collecting these moose droppings and doing things with them like in the story of the homemakers club they were making varnished jewelry out of Uh, out of moose poop yes just google moose poop at some point i should have got pictures for you today but just google it but eventually they're trying to figure out what to do with all this moose poop and somebody was like we should make a game out of this and so in 1972, the Moose Dropping Festival was born. So if you haven't picked up by now, when I talk about moose droppings, I'm not actually talking about dropping moose, but literal moose droppings. They drop moose poop out of a plane? Okay, let me, we're, we're going to get there. We're going to get there, I promise. Okay. Just stick with me. Okay, so this actually typically happens the second weekend of July, and I... I think it's still going on. I don't know if the if the festival got canceled, but we'll get into that later too. But mm-hmm. typically, second weekend of July, so just recently. Um, and because of the shape of moose scat, we will say moose poop. Scat. <laughs> they make the perfect game pieces because they roll and bounce around randomly when dropped. Oh, that's hilarious. Like, obviously not when they're fresh, but after they've been, you know, sitting out for a while and to keep people from freaking out over touching moose poop they are varnished and there are two main games that are played with this moose poop at the festival uh the first one's kind of like your typical carnival style game where you know you've got a target and you take the moose droppings and you toss them at the target (laughs) (laughs) i know so they're throwing poop um, is it supposed to stick? No, I think you... No, because it's varnished. So it's not sticky anymore. Okay. So I don't... I Yeah, no. No, I don't think... I'm just trying to visualize this in my head, throwing these discs of moose poop at a target. Like, how do they know where it hit? Like, yeah, no, it doesn't stick. I don't know, but it's like the, car- like the shooter style yeah. games, I think, is what I was reading. Okay. I didn't get to see any actual videos of this game. 
I did get to watch a video, however, of the main event. Oh, dear. Which is the dropping of the moose droppings. <laughs> I'm sorry, I'm still <laughs> laughing. Okay, so this is the main event. And this is the original one from, like, 1972. Um, and it's, side note, this is important to the story. It is sponsored by the Veterans of Foreign Wars, Mount McKinley Post, I think 3836, I think, anyways, the Veterans of Foreign Wars. Gotcha. So this is how, this is what happens. I'm just going to dive in and give you an explanation of the game. Okay. So, moose droppings are collected, varnished, and then they're numbered. So they each get a number, right? Okay. Then, participants, anybody who wants to play the game, they purchase the numbers. You know, like... At the carnivals, they'd have the number ducks. And if you, oh, yeah. Yeah. So they would put $5 on, say, number seven. I know so it's almost, like favorite a, almost like a betting, right? Almost like so a like, betting. Okay, I'm mm -hmm. going to bet on moose poop number seven. Yes. I may even bet on moose poop number two and seven. I just feel like it's a lot of poop, and it's hard to choose. Um, so everybody purchases their moose poop chances. And then they gather those all up, mm -hmm. and they send them about 50 feet up in the air, either by, and I, I looked into this, um, one of the videos I watched, it was just like a bag on a pulley system. Um, they've also been dropped from hot air balloons, oh. which is where kind of the planes come in. And in the event of bad weather where they can't send up a balloon, they have boom trucks that they will drop them out of. Oh, kind of so like kind of like the electricians use to fix yes. like the lines where they've got the bucket in it. Yes. Okay. So all of your moose droppings go up in the air over the VA parking lot where they have put a target. So a giant target like on the parking lot. On the parking lot. On the asphalt. And they the video I watched anyways, they counted down from ten and they released the moose poop. <laughs> Release the moose poop. <laughs> it was I think I watched the video like 10 times because there was an excessive amount of moose poop that I was not expecting to come out of this bag. So it, the idea is it <laughs> falls from the ground, it hits the ground, everything bounces around, and once everything settles, they go and they look, and whichever moose poop is closest to the target, that person wins. Typically a cash prize. So... Um, one article that I read, the first prize uh, winner got $1,000. Oh. There's also a second and third place, so whoever is, you know, next closest and next closest. But they also gave a cash, a small cash award to last place. Of course. So. I think in Bunko we called that the booby prize. The booby prize. Or this case, the poopy prize. The poopy prize. The poopy prize. Yes. So this is the whole game. Okay, people okay. bet on their poop, they drop them 50 feet from the air, and somebody wins. And that's it. So, whenever you say that they drop moose poop from planes, buckets, hot air balloons, are we talking like hundreds of varnish poop pucks? Yes. There were a lot. Like, when I say an excessive amount, I was not expecting the amount of poop that came out of this bag and like how many how many how did they know sorry for the stutter <laughs> straight up porky pig moment well it's it's a, like hmm. 
I'm just, I'm trying to wrap my head around this because I'm like, how do they know how many poop pucks that they need to collect and varnish in order to have enough for people to purchase? Girl, I didn't get that far into my research because I was laughing too hard. Oh, like, man. this is just fantastic. I'm, I'm saying, I'm down a rabbit hole now. I'm going to have th- to do There my is own a research. video. If y'all go out to YouTube, there is a video and it is fantastic. <laughs> it's just excessive. But, so the festival, it's not just the moose dropping. Like, they're, the festival has expanded over the years, and it's very much um, a local community thing. So we, around here, we have all the different days. Mm-hmm. You know, we've got one coming up in a couple weeks, Cecilia Days. Oh, yeah. It's similar to that. So there okay. is a 5K family run and walk. Nice. Um, you know, there's all the shopping, the booths, there's good food. This was interesting. This might be in a whole other episode, but this is a fun little side note. Yeah. There is a mountain mother contest. A mountain mother contest. Yes, and this is one of the last things I researched, so I don't have a ton of information on it. Okay. But what I gather is these women show their, like, Alaskan fortitude, which sounds amazing, by the way. Right. Like, get it, girl? Um and they compete in these various challenges with baby dolls strapped to their backs to show that they can like, do like these like amazing feats with with babies strapped on their back, which yeah. I mean, women have been doing, whether it's in Alaska or otherwise, have been doing for years. Get it? And I listed just a couple of the things that they do. Um, they will chop wood, okay, and stack it and you know like transport it. This is straight, like, lumberjack stuff. Oh, absolutely. I was imagining lumberjacks, but moms with babies strapped to their backs. They also have to um, shoot a balloon with a bow and arrow. Get it, girl. Love it. Mm-hmm. Uh, they will cross slippery rocks and logs while carrying grocery bags filled with rocks. I feel like I could win that one. Oh, yeah. One trip or none at all. I mean. Absolutely. One trip or none at all. Yeah. So I would, I'm excited to look into this more just because I didn't get a lot, to spend a lot of time looking into it, but it seemed very fascinating. I feel that that's going to be an episode coming up soon. I just want to go see it. Right. It's fascinating. Um, but, okay, so this is where the whole planes thing come in. Okay. Good old PETA. Of course. Heard about this moose dropping festival. And for whatever reason, got it in their minds that they were dropping moose from planes. And so they got all up in a tizzy about it. Mm. Yeah. Mm. And apparently, from what I read, it took several uh, angry letters, some very uh, intense conversations to actually convince PETA, we're not dropping the moose. Just their poop. We're dropping what they've already dropped. So and dropping it like it's hot. Mm-hmm. But and PETA is not the only issue they've run into. Uh, back in two thousand and nine, they actually I think it was two thousand nine they called it off, or maybe the next year they called it off because people were starting to get excessively drunk, and they actually had some issues with violence. Oh, yeah. So there, it actually got canceled, which is why I said I'm not sure if it's still going today. It kind of I got some mixed articles on that, whether or not it's still going on. I see, I I didn't see drunk being the issue. I was thinking more like health hazard concerns because that's a lot of poop. And typically right. poop is associated with, you know, E. coli well, and other I think the, things like that. The varnish kind of takes care of that. Yeah, I'm just, 
Yeah, it should. Should, in theory. Should, in theory. That's what I assumed anyways. Hmm. Interesting. So, yeah. So, if you're ever in Alaska, if it's still going on and you just happen to be up there the second weekend of July, uh, you should go check it out because I kind of want to. I hope it's still around. That is to be determined. I'll let you guys know next week's episode. Maybe we can do a road trip. Oh, I am down for a road trip. There are some national parks up there I would love to go to. Same. So, yes. Moose dropping. It's a thing. Interesting. Get it, girl. (laughs) (laughs) Well. Can you follow that? (laughs) Maybe we should just, like, throw in the towel. And we're done. Kate wins. I feel like mine is not quite that interesting or entertaining. However, I did find it. I found it. I had no idea that lipstick was such a hotly contested thing through history. Like, and by history, I mean, work at, lipstick can be traced all the way back over, let me make sure I get it, 5,000 years ago. Holy cow. Right. Like, this is not, lipstick is not a new concept. It is not a modern age concept like right ancient sumerias they were in archaeological digs they had found evidence of cosmetics and like lip rouge or whatever and now granted it looks a lot different than what today's lipstick looks like however um in fact the term lipstick itself wasn't actually used until like 1880 i don't know what they called it before that lip stuff Stain, the rouge. rouge, which I like. I love that word, anyways. But um, you know, it, it, it's it's fascinating because lipstick has left its mark on both men and women um, for more than five thousand years. Yep, but men wear it too. It, they do. Um, <laughs> so in doing this research, I came across some really interesting things, um, especially about like how it was made especially back in the day, back in ancient Sumeria. Sumeria, I may be pronouncing that wrong, so I apologize. But some of these ancient cosmetics were made by mixing up crushed gemstones with oils and waxes. Oh, fancy. See, I feel like that would be like, I it makes me think of like glittery lips, even though I know that's probably not the case, but... Or gritty. I feel like it might be gritty. Oh, gritty bits. Yeah. Ooh, gritty bits. Hold on. I don't know if that's picking up the uh It probably is picking clock. up our cuckoo clock, but that's okay. Quick break. Cuckoo break. Cuckoo break. We are a little cuckoo, so it's appropriate. Cuckoo for Cocoa Puffs. All right, continue. All right. But yeah, so I'm thinking like, ooh, gritty bits. Like gemstones crushed up into oil and waxes. <laughs> Gross. So then fast forward a little bit to ancient Egyptians who also wore red lipstick as an indicator of social status, not gender. So this is where the whole lipstick has had its impact on both men and women through the years. In ancient Egypt, it didn't matter if you were male or female. It was a sign of your social status. Um, Like, so for example, Cleopatra. Cleopatra wore lipstick. Well, that's why I was just thinking crushed gemstones could not have been cheap. Oh, for sure. So that makes total sense. Right. Um, however, Cleopatra would use carmine 
I may be pronouncing that wrong too, but I think it's carmine dye, which comes from crushed beetles. Oh, gross. You lost me. <laughs> Avocados. <laughs> crushed beetles produce this carmine dye, and she would use that to paint her lips. Which, do you want to take a guess at how many beetles it took oh. to yield one pound of carmine? A pound? One pound of carmine. Oh, mercy sakes. Um, we're going to go big. Don't um, look at my notes. I'm not looking at your notes. One pound? One pound. 2,000. Ooh, try again. Uh, 8,000. Ooh, you still low. Mercy <clears throat> sakes. Um... Moving on up, moving on up. I'm off the clock. I'm not doing math right now. How many beetles? 70,000 beetles. Oh, mercy. To produce one pound of the carmine. So, as you can imagine, yes, this was a social status thing. So, how do you know how much it took to, like, how much carmine went into each, quote, lipstick? I didn't find that anywhere in my research. I'm just curious. But I'm thinking, like, you know, typical dye, you know, it takes a good bit of pigment right. to mix in with whatever oil or wax or whatever. Um, but I, I can't imagine it being cheap or easy to come by. I just imagine that being a job, the beetle fetcher. <laughs> Instead of a sheep herder. Fetch my beetles. <laughs> I need some rouge for my lips. Yeah. Um, also, uh, not to gross you out or anything, but they still use carmine in lipsticks today. I have mixed feelings right now. <laughs> Caitlin's okay. gonna, Kate's going to be going through checking all of her lipsticks, checking the ingredients list to see what's in it. Better beetles than spiders, so. Well, so funny, beetles are not the only things that were used in oh, cosmetics. Stop it. Or if you say spiders, I'm going to die. No. Okay, so you're safe from that. It's okay. not spiders, so no avocados. However, they use fish scales. Okay. The fish scales were commonly used um, in any kind of shimmery lipstick or eyeshadow. Because oh. if you think about it, if you've ever looked at like a, a fish in the sunlight, right. if you kind of, sounds weird, if you move the fish around, it's iridescent and it does kind of have a little shimmer to it. Um, so that, whenever you stop and think about it, it makes sense. It does make sense. I like it. Yeah. And so fish scales are also used in a lot of shimmery cosmetics today, too. Okay. So if you've got a shimmery lipstick or lip gloss, you might have some fish scales in your lips. I'm just saying. Um, anyways, okay, so that's enough about ancient Egyptians. Let's move on to ancient Greece. <laughs> this one's fun. Prostitutes were required by law to sport red lip pigment. Least they be confused for respectable women of the upper class. So in ancient Greece, if you were a little fussy, if you're one of the temple prostitutes, you wore red lipsticks. If you were upper class, not so much. You went nude. You went bare. Um, and in in ancient Greece, the lipstick was made from a combination of red dye, sheep sweat. Mm, avocados what and oh i'm not done yet and following along with this kind of does tie into yours a little bit 
it was also made with crocodile droppings. It all comes back to poop. It all comes back to poop. Everybody poops. Everybody poops, literally. I'm stuck on the sheep sweat. Yep. Excuse me? Yeah, sheep sweat. I mean, I don't know how you collect that, but apparently that was a thing in ancient Another Greece. Another crappy joke. Mm-hmm. But yeah, so going back, this was actually, ancient Greece was the first known law related to lipstick. Okay. So basically if prostitutes did not wear their red lipstick out in public or the designated lipstick out in public, they could be punished for improperly posing as ladies. Now, Grant, I don't know what the punishment was. It didn't say, but I'm sure being ancient Greece, it was probably something awful. Oh, I was ready to yell, this is Sparta. <laughs> like, like, I was bracing for it. I'm thinking, like, you know, maybe they were, I don't know, eaten by lions or something. But, yeah, that was the first known law regarding lipstick. So, I mean, we've already seen in history the right kind of this rise and fall action of lipstick. Right. You know, Cleopatra, it was a social status. In Greece, it was a social status, but not in a good way. And it doesn't get any better from here. Of course not. <laughs> of course not. Why would it? So, throughout the medieval period, lip color in Europe, it kind of came in and out of favor. So, again, more roller coaster action. Ups and downs. Um, and a lot of this was due to various attempts, <laughs> you're going to appreciate this, by religious groups to condemn makeup for challenging God and his workmanship. Okay, I have some issues here. <laughs> same, girl. Same. <laughs> so, yeah, so the, these religious groups, you know, they they were trying to push that, you know, more of a naturalistic type don't mess with god's creation you are who you are no need to enhance it Uh and they take it a little bit further later on but we'll get to that um however lipstick was also used to distinguish social classes um so we'll look at italian society ladies so the upper class ladies of italy during the uh the 1200s for them, wearing bright pink lip color was considered high class. However, if you were of the lower classes in Italy, you wore earthy red tones to denote your inferior social standing. That escalated quickly. Right. Okay, so here we see lipstick in, in both social classes, high class and lower class, mm-hmm. but they were different shades. The different shades is what denoted your social status. Straight up lady uniforms. Right? Basically. Um, Okay, so then during the Elizabethan period in England, people actually thought that lipstick could work magic. Well, yeah. Right. I mean, we know that it works magic. I mean, you put on the right shade of lipstick and it changes your whole day. Absolutely. So I think there's a little something to this. Um, but they took it so far as to think that it could ward off death. Okay. So now we're mixing in a little lipstick and voodoo. <laughs> <laughs> I'm going to need some explanation. Here. Yeah, okay. So, and I don't know, I really couldn't find an explanation as to why they thought it warded off death. Um, but they were just so consumed with this thought that it could ward off death. 
Um, and at the time, apparently, despite warnings from pastors about lip painting being the devil's work, Queen Elizabeth I was credited lipstick with life-saving power. So there might have been, there might have been this, oh, well, if the queen thinks that it can, you know, have healing powers, then maybe it does. Like, I, again, it's a whole social status thing. Gotcha. And people, just like today, people tend to follow celebrities and their trends and just think about, like, diet culture even. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you get somebody in... Hollywood that is promoting, I don't know, the egg diet where all you eat is eggs and they've lost like, I don't know, 90 pounds in like 10 days. All of a sudden, everybody's doing the egg diet. So I think it's kind of the same thing here. They saw Queen Elizabeth I, you know, promoting lipstick as this healing instrument and everybody jumped on board. Um, in fact, she applied it super heavy whenever she fell ill. They say when she died <laughs> that Queen Elizabeth had on nearly half an inch of lip rouge. How is that? E- what? Well, you got to remember, it was a little, lip rouge was a little bit different than our lipstick today. It's a thicker, more cakey. Right, but that still seems that's excessive. still a lot. Yeah. Half an inch of lip rouge. Clearly, it was not the magic that she thought it was. Because in the end, we all die. It's all going to burn. It's all going to burn. So, yeah. So, (laughs) belief in lipstick's magical powers caused an uproar from the church. Imagine that. They're touchy. They're a little touchy. They're a little sensitive. Um, But not just the church. So, it caused an uproar from the church and the state at the time. Oh, who deemed the application, the application of lipstick, sinful? So not only do you have the church saying it's sinful, now you have the state saying it's sinful. Um, in fact, <laughs> pictures of devils putting on lipstick were often used um, as kind of like I guess propaganda against no lipstick. Yes, I'm not joking. <laughs> Pictures of devil putting on lipstick were often used as propaganda against lipstick. Um, and, and, tell me, this is not patriarchal oppression. Women had to address their lipstick use at confession. Oh, okay. What? Hold yep. on. Mm-hmm. Yep. You had to go to the priest and confess your lipstick use because it was sinful. I just have so many thoughts right now. Oh, I know. But I'm going to just tuck those back in. (laughs) I know. I could get off on a whole tangent on this. Okay. So, in 1770, the British Parliament actually passed a law condemning lip painting. You want to know what they cited for their reason? God bless what? Women found guilty of seducing men into marriage by a cosmetic means could be tried for witchcraft okay mm-hmm. i can't even so again patriarchal oppression they're putting it all on the woman you put this lipstick on you seduce this man into marriage and then you tricked him it's witchcraft 
So they weren't smart enough to realize that that wasn't ne- I, okay. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I'm yep. just saying that's mm-hmm. what it was. Okay. Mm-hmm. And and not only was this in Britain, but in America, some states also protected men from the trickery of lipstick by allowing a marriage to be annulled if the wife had used lip color during the couple's courtship. Not even the marriage, the courtship. I just can't contain myself right now. <laughs> I'm just, I'm telling you, lipstick has had this crazy roller coaster of a ride. Um, and quite honestly, gotten the short end of the stick in so many situations throughout history. So. I'm sorry. I just can't even with your whole topic. Like, I thought I was prepared for your topic because I knew what the topic was. Right. I was not prepared. Oh, you should have seen me trying to do this research. Okay. (laughs) Continue on. Okay. I just, just go for it. Okay. So, between the Renaissance and the end of the 19th century, so we're moving on down the timeline here, um, you know, obvious uses of cosmetic in the Western world was associated more with actors and prostitutes rather than respectable women. So it kind of fell back into the slump of having a bad rap, you know, oh, only, uh, only actors and prostitutes wear lipstick. Oh, those actors. Oh, those actors. (laughs) (laughs) I know, right? Okay, so not a whole lot going on between Renaissance and the end of the 19th century. So in the early 20th century... Um, after centuries of male authority limiting the use of cosmetics. So this whole thing of women shouldn't wear lipstick went on for centuries. Wearing red lipstick was seen as an act of female rebellion. So finally we're getting back to this point of, you know what? I'm going to wear the lipstick. Mm, Get Mm. it. Get it, girl. Um, And in fact... Red lipstick was very popular amongst the suffragettes. Oh, did I say that right? Suffragettes, suffragettes, suffragettes. I don't know. I say it different every time. Yes. So in that first wave of feminism, basically, where they were they were pushing yes. for women's rights, right? Um, so yeah, red lipstick was actually very popular among them. Uh, it was seen as a sign of rebellion, patriarchy. Yes. So then we get the flapper movement coming in. In the rise of silent films in the 1920s, in red stip, red lipstick, particularly if it was dark red lipstick, became extremely popular. Um, of course, you know, the 20s, the roaring 20s was kind of all about rebellion anyway. You oh, know, yeah. they're getting away from the corsets and they're getting away from these big poofy dresses and it's a much more simplified, boxy silhouette look, shorter hair. So naturally red lipstick enters the scene as being very popular um, during the flapper movement as well. Um, Because, you know, it started, it was really, it was at this point with the flapper movement that it started to represent women's sexuality. Like, in a a more positive way, I guess. Like, in their control. Right. In their control. It's their control. Not go to confession, kind of. Exactly. Yeah, not going to confession court. So then in 1933, Vogue declared lipstick was the most important cosmetic for women. (laughs) Love how we both started voguing. Yeah. It's too bad that we don't have visuals for this podcast. It's probably a good thing. 
you're right. <laughs> um, so yeah, so Vogue declared that lipstick was the most important cosmetic for women, um, which this was made even more evident by the continued growth in the market. So keep in mind, this is going on during the Great Depression. Mm. So people are hard up, you know, they're struggling to feed their families. Um, life was tough. But you know what they still bought? Lipstick. Hmm. And so this inspired what is known as the lipstick effect. It's a term that's used by economists, okay, um, to explain why consumers will continue to buy small, frivolous goods like lipsticks to lift their spirits during times of financial oh. hardship. So you think about like this whole past, what, year and a half now with this pandemic? Oh, yes. People, you know, people not having their jobs. Uh, being on lockdown, um, you still saw, like, Amazon took off. Um, people were still buying, like, little frivolous things that maybe they didn't necessarily need just to kind of lift their spirits. And I think we do that, too. It, that retail therapy. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. If you're feeling bad, what are you going to go do? I'm just going to go buy myself a little something. And it doesn't have to be expensive. It could be $5 earrings. It could be you know, a $2 treat from the store. Or the day I bought 20 t-shirts. Or the day you bought 20 t-shirts. I yes. still wear those t-shirts, by the way. They're great t-shirts. But yeah, so this is known as the lipstick effect. Had no idea that, that was even a thing, but it makes sense. Um, so in the 1930s, you know, despite the, the economic impact that lipstick had, <laughs> lipstick was still frowned upon for teenage girls. Little hussies. Little hussies, <laughs> right? In fact, a 1937 survey revealed that over 50% of teenage girls fought with their parents about wearing lipstick. Okay, to be fair, we fought with our parents about makeup in general, so I can see that. But that was more like we wanted to wear like black lipstick and black nail polish. Yeah, that's true. But yeah. I, I, like, I feel just like being a teenage girl at one point. Fair. I, like, I can see that being a common right. argument with a mother well, or and, a father. Well, and at the time, it also kind of implied that girls who wore red lipsticks acted provocative. Uh, so yes. they're still tying it to this whole sexuality. Right. Um, red lipstick is bad. Honestly, I think it was because it made their little girls like a little bit too old. I feel it. Yep. I, I know because you got, you know, your daughter is getting ready to turn 13 and she, Stop. I know, I know. Anyways, sorry. So yeah, so that was a, that was a point of contention in the 1930s. Like it, it's kind of okay for like adults to wear it, but it still was not okay for teenagers to wear it. So then during World War II, and I think you kind of know where this is going. This is my favorite fact. Yes. Ever. So cosmetic advertisers introduced politically charged ads for colors, lipstick colors, such as Victory Red. Yeah. Encouraging women to embrace beauty upkeep as part of their civic duty. Oh, how the tables have turned. Oh, right. Um, <laughs> here's, here's a fun fact. This is, this is an actual advertisement for tangy lipstick during the war. Okay. 
their advertisement boldly stated, no lipstick will win the war, but it symbolizes one of the reasons why, why we are fighting, the precious right of women to be feminine and lovely under any circumstance. Ooh. Okay. <laughs> right? Hey, whatever. I guess it's old lipstick. You know, it was a patriotic thing, um, you know, for their country. Plus, fun fact, Hitler hated lipstick. If you were not going to bring that up, I was going to bring it up. Of course I was going to bring it up. It's my favorite. Um, so, you know, it was kind of this twofold, like, eh, okay, I'm not really crazy about their advertisement because it's basically kind of being like, oh, well, we're fighting for these pretty women back home. But it also encouraged women to buy red lipstick, which was a sign of rebellion against Hitler. The big old screw you to Hitler. It basically was a big screw you to Hitler. I love it. I mean, I I legit would probably be putting on red red lipstick. I'd sleep in red lipstick. I would have a half inch on. <laughs> <laughs> I would pull a Queen Elizabeth I and have a half inch of lipstick rouge on in victory red. Also, just a side note, in my head right now is a girl worth fighting for. <gasps> yes. That is all I can hear after you read those ads. Oh my gosh. Yep, you're right. Shout out to Mulan, Disney version. So <laughs> let's fast forward past the, the World War II. In the 1950s, red lipstick entered the mainstream with two thirds of teenage girls reporting that they wore lipstick. All right. And that was in a 1951 survey. So this is like early 1950s. Okay. Um, another survey around the same time in another survey, 98% of American women. So we're expanding from teenagers to women. Okay. 98% of them claim to wear lipstick daily. So this was the point where it was just kind of becoming part of the regular routine. And, you know, it, that was, you don't get dressed without your full face of makeup, right? Including your lips. Okay. And taking it back to royalty, something about the Queen Elizabeths and their lipstick. <laughs> In 1952, Queen Elizabeth commissioned her own lipstick shade to match her coronation robe called the Balmoral Lipstick. Of course she did. Why what, wouldn't she? Right? What a power move. I mean, if anybody gets to do that, it's her. It's the queen. And I, mean, I mean, let's just be honest, and pardon the language, but Elizabeth was kind of a badass. I mean, uh, yeah. And so I could totally see her pulling this as a power move. Like, oh, it's my yeah. coronation. I'm going to have my lips match my coronation robe. Mm-hmm. So, um... I don't know exactly what that looked like, and I'm sure it was probably a fantastic shade of red. We're going to Google it. I am going to Google it later. Um, <laughs> meanwhile, back in America, in what we would consider our royalty, a.k.a. celebrities, uh, Elizabeth Taylor and Marilyn Monroe were always shown in their signature crimson shades, making lipstick even more desirable and present in the mainstream. Oh, yeah. I mean, because whenever I think of, like, Marilyn Monroe and Elizabeth Taylor, I think of, like, you know, they've got on really nice makeup, their lips are done, very classy. Oh, yes, very classy. Yeah. Even, well, yeah, we'll just stick with classy. Yeah, moving on. <laughs> moving on to the 1960s. 
Uh, so the 1960s actually saw a huge decrease in the popularity of red lip color. Okay. Because oh no, well it was it, it was due to a more neutral lip, which is favored by modern fashion, and the more natural beauty regimen that was popularized by the hippie culture. Oh, okay, that makes, makes sense. sense, right? Oh yeah, I'm tracking now. Totally makes because it was this holy natural movement, one with the earth. Makeup was not natural, so it was kind of no pun intended natural to see. Um, a decline in the popularity of especially red lipstick. Browns, nudes, you can get by with it. Right. But definitely not bright colors. Oh, no. Um, in that neutral, the, the neutral colors kind of trailed into the 1970s. Um, and it was during that time that some feminist groups actually denounced lipstick. For being solely intended for the pleasure of men. Okay, but based off of those ads from the from the war, I kind of get it. Right. I mean, so through history, patriarch has kind of controlled the view mm-hmm. of lipstick, and so it makes sense for this kind of the. I think this was around the second wave of feminism. We won't get into the whole waves and phases of feminism, right? But. It was this mindset of, you know, it's, we don't put on lipstick for anybody, and lipstick was has always been about, you know, men and their control over women, which, looking through history, kind of was. Makes sense. Um, so, they, feminist groups really denounced lipsticks in the 1970s. This mindset's going to change in the 1990s, whenever the third wave of feminism comes along, and we'll get to that in a minute. Um, but thanks to the disco era glamour, <laughs> I love a good disco, right? <laughs> Cherry red glossy lips oh, mercy. came back, um, and they were considered high fashion. Like if you were going out, you probably had on some beautiful red glossy lips. Um, and the glam and punk rock subcultures also saw a rise in the use of lipstick by men. Oh, <laughs> even though this is nothing new because, you know, right. we were talking about in Egypt, the men would paint their lips as well as a sign of their social status. Um, but David Bowie was one of the was one of the most iconic. Right. Men right. For picking up a, a tube of oh, lipstick. David Bowie. Oh, David Bowie. So, I know. But yeah, so there was there was kind of this there was this rise in the disco era and then in the glam and punk rock rock subcultures too. Um, so then in the nineteen eighties, whenever I think in the nineteen eighties, which when I was born, um, <laughs> I think of like bright, bold makeup trends, right? Um, specifically lips. Um, in fact, bright red lips was like. Super popular in the 80s. Think Madonna in her early years. Gotcha. Yeah. That was kind of driving the lipstick culture in the 1980s. Um, However, the end of the decade and into the 1990s, when you were born. That's my time. That's your time. Saw a strong trend towards nudes, muted lipstick shades, 
and a plethora of brown tones. Oh, mercy. And I totally relate to this because I remember going to the store and picking out like the perfect shade of brown lipstick in the 90s. So, uh, <laughs> I mean, and this wasn't, there was really no like, oh, we're going for a natural look because we're hippies or anything like that. It was just that was the fashion trend. Like, this is kind of right. where it started becoming more fashion than somebody was like, oh, that one. Yeah, right, or, well, or political trend or right. religious trend. So, <laughs> as the millennium kind of reached an end, um, most women kind of favored lipstick that matched their mood and their appearance over these trends. So it kind of became this, where would you want? Oh, cuckoo clock break. It's a short one. Okay. Um, so kind of circling back to the 90s, we're not totally out of the millennium yet. In the 1990s, there was the rise of lipstick feminism. Try it. Have you heard of lipstick feminism? Yes. All right. So lipstick fe feminism is a variety of the third wave feminism. Okay. So basically in the third wave, there was a couple of different groups of thought. Um, and lipstick feminism was one of them. It sought to embrace the traditional concepts of fem feminism alongside the traditional concepts of femininity. Okay, tracking. Okay. So basically, women could still be feminist without ignoring or negating their femininity. Basically, if you want to wear the lipstick, wear the lipstick. Get it, girl. Right? And it's almost like taking ownership back. Right. Of, All right, patriarchy. You are no longer going to dictate what I wear, when I wear it. It's up to me. It's up to me. I'm going to decide if I'm going to wear the red lipstick or not wear any lipstick at all. So I thought that was kind of an important moment in lipstick history. Oh, yeah. Uh, because it's really at this point that women take control back from the oppressive patriarchy. Um, and today, uh, kind of moving out of, out of the, the 1990s into the early 2000s, um, in most parts of the modern world, women do have freedom to flaunt a bold red lip if they want to. Uh, without the fear of persecution. Mm. Now, granted, there are still some places that it's not okay. Um, that red lipstick or any kind of bold lip is kind of frowned against. Um, but in most places, we're the lipstick, right? Um, you know, we've become freer to use lipstick to express ourselves. Um, and it doesn't really even more so like in the past decade to express yourself regardless of gender, mm -hmm. you know? So we're kind of yeah. going back to that Egyptian concept of, it doesn't matter if you're male or female, if you want to wear the lipstick, wear the wear lipstick. I want to shirt now that says, if you want to wear the lipstick, wear the lipstick. We can make that happen. We know, I know people. We, can, we do. Um, but yeah, so, you know, we can use it to express ourselves, you know, regardless of gender or social status today. Um, in fact, I would say... The biggest difficulty that we face today in lipstick has nothing to do with patriarchal oppression. Thank you. Um, but rather in choosing the perfect shade. Oh, that's true. Because, uh, 
you know, there are some shades that just don't look right with the skin tone, certain skin tones. And, uh, you know, there's this whole, especially if you get into, like, the color theory behind mm-hmm. lip colors. Um, think, like, in especially red lipstick, for example. There's blue red and orange reds. I can't do orange reds. I cannot do orange reds either. Oh, it looks so bad. Um, but there are some people, it looks gorgeous on them. Oh, yeah. You know, I'm, but for me, I'm very much a blue-red person. Um, if you don't know what I'm talking about, Google it. There's this whole color theory with red lipstick. Um, but yeah, I think that's really our, our biggest obstacle today with lipstick is it's not the church telling us we can or can't wear it or, you know, the state telling us that, you know, if you're in a questionable line of business. It's so tactful. I'm proud of you. <laughs> if you're an accountant. <laughs> You have to wear this certain shade of lipstick so people know that you're an accountant. You know, Dad's going to ask us about this when he listens to this podcast, right? That's okay. He can ask. Okay. It won't be the first time we've had to explain some questionable we'll, things We'll to sit him. him down with Google? Yes, we will. Uh, <laughs> but, you know, it, really, we're... We're not oppressed over lipstick anymore. We don't have anybody telling us what we can and can't wear as far as lipstick. We really think that thanks to the lipstick feminism have kind of taken back that control mm. of saying, I choose what I'm going to wear. So, um, kind of wrapping things up because it's pretty much, uh, that's, I mean, that's all the history of lipstick. It was a lot. Thanks for sticking with me on that. <laughs> um, it was a roller coaster ride for sure. Um, so just a couple of fun facts. In 1915, um, that was the year that lipstick was first sold in oblong metal tubes. Oh. So prior to 1950, it did not come in the typical, what we think of as the typical lipstick tube. You know, it probably came in like a little jar or a little a smaller container, uh, but it was not sold in, in to tubes until 1915. And then in 1923, and a little bit closer to home for us, uh, James Bruce Mason Jr. of Nashville, Tennessee, patented the first swivel up tube. Yes. Right? Um, so, yeah. So, in 1915, it, it, gets, it gets put into tube form. And then just a few short years later, in 1923, somebody said, let's make this easier. And also, I find it amusing that it was a man. Get it, dude. That decided, <laughs> get it, my dude. That decided um, that lipstick needed to swivel up. Genius, absolute genius. Um, so yeah, those are a couple of little fun facts. And uh, take that, Hitler. Take that, Hitler. That's where we're gonna end this podcast. Take that, Hitler. That's gonna be our new tagline. <laughs> take that, Hitler. <laughs> I love it. Take that, Hitler. Um, but yeah, so that is that is my. That's my little topic for today is the roller coaster of lipstick through history. I love it. I love it. Especially like I used to never wear lipstick and now that I'm like older, um, I've definitely started wearing more lipstick now that I've found what I like and the colors that I like. Right. So yeah. Oh, and let's not even get in, into the whole conversation of is it long lasting or not? Because that's a game changer too. Right, that's yeah. Long lasting lipstick where you don't have to keep applying it throughout the day. Game changer. <laughs> well, on the bright side, we didn't have a ton of avocados today. 
just you know dead beetles us. just dead beetles uh that was pretty dead much beetles. it well yeah. we had a we had one with the with the moose poop oh with the moose poop yeah it all comes back to poop it all comes back to poop it does everybody poops it's a book <laughs> <laughs> if it's not it should be well i guess that's all we have for everybody today right yeah, tip that's all i've got all right awesome we'll make sure um, after you're done listening, uh, go to Instagram, follow us there. Uh, we'll try to make some more posts this week. Uh, we did take a week off. Yes. Um, and thank you guys for bearing with us through that. We totally planned to have this episode out about a week ago. Yes. Last Actually week. over a week ago. So, um, but we were busy funeral planning, unfortunately. Yeah. So thank you for bearing with us, but go to Instagram, like, follow, share, um, tell all your friends about it. You know, if you don't mind losing your friends over our weirdness. We would appreciate it. And we will see you guys in about two weeks, right? Yeah, if not, maybe a little sooner. We'll see. All right. Well, y'all have a good good week, and we'll see you next time. Bye. Bye.